Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we talk about the experiences of being a Black African-American male and a peace officer. Each week, listen to the personal stories, topics, and discussions about this duality. I will share my personal experiences, along with having periodic guests. Whether you want to learn more about this, understand it better, or just want to listen as a therapy session, I welcome you, and this is the podcast for you. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Alfred, and today we have a guest here today, uh, Mr. D. How's it going? Good, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Again, thank you for taking the time out today uh, to doing this interview. Before we get started, uh, let the audience know uh, just a little bit about you, you know, where you grew up education, career path, just some basics so they can get an understanding of, of, uh, of your background. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm born and raised in uh, the Bay Area, Oakland. I live in Oakland currently right now, and um, I went to Skyline High School here in Oakland. Did my college at uh, UC Davis. I graduated there in 2011. I studied sociology and African-American studies. Uh, right now, I currently work as a correctional officer at a California prison. So I definitely think that my college experience and my major and things I did in college helped me for my career in law enforcement right now. Yeah, so it's just, it's, it's a, I have a good time at work. I enjoy what I do, a little bit about myself and what I do on a daily basis. Okay, and just to also let the, uh, the listeners know, you, you work in law enforcement um, as far as inside a uh, institution, correct? Yes, I do. Okay, just to let the people know that you're in the institution side as opposed to being on the streets. The next question I have for you is, why did you choose to become a peace officer or to, you know, be in law enforcement? Um, I told myself that whatever career I wanted, whatever career I was going to get into, I wanted to be able to, one, provide for myself and my family, meaning, you know, make decent money, have good benefits and whatnot. And I also wanted to help people. Whatever that looked like, um, I always wanted to help somebody save a life, be some type of mentor, or just be a positive, a positive figure for anybody in, in, in whatever career field that I chose. And I had a, a criminology professor. He was a retired, what was he, retired deputy in Southern California, and he kind of just sparked my interest in law enforcement. So once I graduated and I started applying, doing... Um, ride-alongs, taking tours of different prison facilities. And I figured I, that was the career path that I wanted to take. I enjoy working with different types of people. Uh, I enjoy laughing, joking, just having a good time with, with different people that I work in, saving a life whenever I can. So, you know, it, it was a really easy choice once I met my professor of criminology. I was like, this is, I saw a lot of myself in him. And I said, this is what I want to do. Okay. And, don't regret it at all. Nice. Now, would you say that <clears throat> along with, you know, that influence from the professor, was was there any influence um, as far as you growing up uh, in Oakland as a youth or even as an adult? Was there any influence with the experiences that you may have had or encountered? Did that have any decision on you going into law enforcement? Yeah, definitely. My my experiences with police officers growing up, especially as a teenager, they weren't always positive, mm -hmm. but I didn't let that make me scared of interacting with police officers and wanting to be in law enforcement. I grew up um, 
I played sports. I had a lot of friends and we, we always didn't have the best encounters with, with police officers. My first time being pulled over was, was 16 and just not switching lanes correctly, not putting my blinker on, had me sitting on a curb handcuffed, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, while my car was being searched. So I could have taken that moment right there and, and just been a negative, rebellious kid toward police officers, but always knew that, like, let me try to figure out the system and fix the system. As a, as a young 16, 17-year-old man, I was right. like, this, I knew this wasn't right. I knew I wasn't being treated right, but let me figure out why. Let me right. try to infiltrate it and, and, and do my thing and figure out why this is happening to me. So I didn't have, always have the best situations with, with police officers, but mm-hmm. I've had some good, good encounters with police officers as a young man. You know what I'm saying? So just a catch-22, I guess. Right, right. Uh, would you would you say the the negative outweighed the good uh, with those interactions with law enforcement? I would say they were 50-50. 50-50 for you? I would say they're 50-50 for okay. me Um Like I did have some bad experiences, but at the same time, I could recall one experience. I was about 12 years old, and there's a lot of domestic violence going on in my in my home and at one point in time. And um, I called the police myself, a family member. And um, when they arrived and the, the care that they took with me and that family member was, was, was positive. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, mm-hmm. it was a, a traumatic situation for everybody involved. And I'm trying not to give too much detail, but right, right. it was something that made me like trust police officers and know that they, they're not all bad, but they do save lives and they do help families. So I was like, okay, this was a good experience. So I tried to hold on to as many good moments that I could possibly hold on to with police officers. Absolutely. Absolutely. My next question, um, is it difficult living the duality of being a Black African-American male and a peace officer? Yeah, it is. It is pretty difficult. For me, I work inside of an institution, so my work stays in one area. I'm not out in the public talking to different people. I'm not wearing my uniform in the public. I pretty much go to work, change, come home in a different set of clothes. So not many people know what I do. But inside the institution, you know, I'm, I'm looked at and talked to in a different type of way, especially with everything going on in society now. It, it can be mm-hmm. very difficult as a black man in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Now, going off that, um, being that you you get those, you know, uh, awkward stares or moments while you're mm-hmm. at while you're at work. Um, have you or do you care to share any experiences that you've had where you felt other officers may have looked at you differently or they felt an uneasiness just because of who you were? Um, I can't really recall off the top of my head, but I, I do, I do know just from my experience at, at work as a black, as a black law enforcement officer, correctional officer, I have to be 10 times better than any of my coworkers as far as small things like appearance certain coworkers that who are of opposite race um, and skin complexion of me, they can participate in certain dress down days or they can, you know, get away with not wearing full uniforms. They can get away with not being completely shaven. However, mm-hmm. I can't do things like that. My uniform has to be pressed and polished. My shoes have to be polished. My haircut has to be spot on. Black men in law enforcement, at least in my area of, of work, we're held to a higher standard and we're called out 10 times more if we aren't hitting that standard. So. Well, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, why do you feel that that, that, that you, you know, black males are, are held at a higher standard at your, your uh, place of work? 
I think this is it's the assumption that um I think it's an assumption. I think they think that black men are are lazy. I think they think that we're aggressive. I think they think that we're uh, overly emotional. So it's like we take it upon ourselves, me and my co my my African American coworkers. We take it upon ourselves to not be picked on by our by our, our supervisors and our coworkers. We don't want that spotlight on us. So we make sure that mm-hmm. we do every single thing to the best of our ability. We try to do everything right. Right. As far so, as we can, so that we are not put under a magnifying glass. Right. So in order to take that magnifying glass or the spotlight off of you, you just do everything above and beyond what is asked for so that it's never pointed in your direction. Correct. But as far it as makes, said, it makes for a stressful situation, it makes for a stressful environment. You mm-hmm. always, always feel like I'm walking on eggshells and right. I get my, I get my peace um, and I get my sense of gratitude working with inmates, mm-hmm. having, having, rapport with all types of inmates, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, like when I'm, when I'm dealing with inmates or dealing with brand, with people from the outside community, I, when they look at me as a role model because of my appearance, because of how I carry myself, because of how serious I take my job. Hmm. And, you know, that's something I'm, I'm thankful for. All right. Absolutely. Now going off that, have you, have you ever had to check a colleague before, um, for anything that may have been said, unethical, racist or just being insensitive to what they're being you know said at the time uh off the top of my head I, it's so many things happen on a daily basis mm-hmm. um i'll give you a quick example a few days ago mm-hmm. the, the day before yesterday um we were doing a, a restraint of an inmate who had just acted out in medical in the medical department knocking over different things and I had a, a a white coworker. We had to take this inmate down to the ground and handcuff him. And we were having a hard time putting the handcuffs on. The inmate was on the ground. I noticed that my coworker, my white coworker, had his knee on his on his back. And the knee was slowly, slowly itching up, up, up his spine to the back of his neck. It was like as as we were tussling, I noticed that knee kept going closer and closer and closer to his neck. And me, now with everything going on, on nowadays, I said, that knee that knee gotta go. So I pushed his knee off without even thinking. Pushed his knee off. And um after the whole restraint happened, he came up to me and thanked me for that. I thought I was gonna get in trouble because this coworker was a was a, a lieutenant of mine. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was gonna get in, in trouble for doing that. I was terrified, you know what I'm saying? So but afterwards he thanked me. But I have a, a ton that was kind of going off topic, but that was a situation I you know, you can't be afraid to um Step in. Step in and and, mm-hmm. um, and do what's right in the moment. Absolutely. I have, they, they, my coworkers say little, little, little comments all the time. I walk into the break room and they're, they're, they're talking about um, George Ford's case and they're calling him a thug and they're saying that he should have been more compliant with the officers. And, you know, I hear, I hear all the, the negatives about this negative stereotypes from my coworkers and Sometimes I ignore it. Sometimes I'll tell them, check it. But it happens so often. It's just like you got to pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. I kind of established myself as a no-nonsense, very professional guy. So I don't get the black jokes like I used to. Or I don't get the, oh, you speak well for a black guy jokes like I used to when I first mm-hmm. got here. So um, I just, it's just a reputation that I have around there. So it can be difficult, but I've, I've made it easy. Got you. Absolutely. 
I was about to ask you something else, but I lost my train of thought, but we'll move on. There was this statement I came across that I saw on Instagram by a, a non-Black female, and she posted the following. She stated how to avoid being shot by the police. She goes on to say, don't be a criminal. Also, don't drink and drive. Then resist arrest. Don't fight multiple officers. Don't take their tasers and don't fire the tasers at officers, end quote. And then she follows up with a hashtag, Rashard Brooks. And just so our listeners know, Rashard Brooks is the individual that was in the drive through sleep in the car at Wendy's in Atlanta, uh, and ultimately getting shot, and, uh, and he died. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about this, this woman that posted this on, on Instagram? It's, real, it's, it's very insensitive for her to say something like that. Um, all those things that she mentioned in that, that post may or may not have been true, but they don't warrant a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Drinking and driving, you shouldn't end up dead at the end of that arrest. Sleeping in a Wendy's parking lot shouldn't equal death. Taking an officer's non-lethal taser shouldn't equal you being shot in the back three, two or three times. We just have to just be a little bit more sensitive to the fact that people are dying. Right. Absolutely. And that's all I can say about that. People, Somebody died when they shouldn't have died. Absolutely. And I don't believe... If he wasn't a black man, if he was a white man or someone else, I feel like he would have been alive. So uh, going going along with that, do do you feel that appearance matters as far as, you know, if you're wearing a suit versus wearing casual clothes or if you had long hair versus short hair when you have an interaction with law enforcement? To me, it doesn't and it shouldn't. But we're African-Americans, we're, we're judged off of our appearance mm-hmm. a lot. People think that dreadlocks are unprofessional, even if you have a suit on. You know, it's just, it's something we've been dealing with as a community forever, forever. And I think that that needs to definitely change. But it's, it's something that I deal with at work every day. Like I told you before, I, I have to make sure that my uniform is extremely crisp. Otherwise, I'll be seen as a sloppy as a sloppy co- co- uh, employee. I don't I don't want that. Right. Um, I think people should be able to dress how they want to dress, and that's the end of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But that's not re- but that's not reality. Absolutely, it's not reality, and that's unfortunate too. Yeah. One other thing too, um, when when you are currently now out in public, as uh, and, and I want you to think about being a peace officer and then when you were not a peace officer has the has the um the reaction you've gotten out in public has it changed much since you became a peace officer yeah i mean i, I get it from both ends um you know a, a lot of my fr- i've i've lost friends because of my 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 career path i've i've gained good friends because of my career path and just being out in public i try to hide what I do mm-hmm. completely. Like I'm, I'm able to carry a weapon out in public. I don't do that because that comes with a whole nother issue. Say I get pulled over and I have to explain why I have a firearm on me. And I have to explain that way more than I, I would have to explain it if I was at work. I just, I don't want to deal with that headache. You know, well, when I do, there are all those moments where I'll go out in, in a uniform or something like that. And people will treat me a little nicer or they'll, they'll be a little bit more respectful to me. I, I find it odd, but it's just, a, I don't know. I don't know how to really explain that part of it, but I just try to hide it as much as I can when I'm out in public. 
Mm, understandable. And the and the reason you say you you try to hide it when you're out in public is is because you just don't want or or why yeah, is I, it? Oh, go ahead. I think people have people have a, a a negative view of of police officers. Even though I'm a a correctional officer, I work in a prison. Mm-hmm. They see a star badge and they all think we are the same type of person. Right. I just right. I like to just when I'm out in public at a restaurant, I like peace. And I don't, I don't want any issues. So I just try to like, try to go that world. Understandable. So. Now you mentioned that you, you stated um, that you lost friends due to your career, due to your career path. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it that you are, what was the reason why you lost those friends? Was it specifically just because you chose a career path you did? Yeah. It's just when I, when I'm getting to know people, it's because of the career path I chose and they don't believe, they don't agree with how minorities have been treated by law enforcement officers. And I, I can't blame them. Mm-hmm. And they, they assume that I am that same way. And they assume that I condone that type of behavior from, from bad law enforcement officers. So they just, they kind of steer away. I've had people say that to me verbatim. You, cond- you have to condone it if you work in that environment. And a person who won't, don't want to meet me halfway or or hear me, hear me out in, in terms of why I chose my career and um, why I do what I do. You know, I don't really need that person in my life as well. So that's, that's, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm fine. Right. With it. I'm always willing to talk to someone about why I chose a career I, I've chosen and I'm mm-hmm. and what I do on a daily basis. And if you can't understand that, then I don't, I can't do nothing about that. Right. And I think that goes along with, with people's ignorance of, of law enforcement in general, that they, that they assume or they clump everybody into one bubble that if there's a you know a bad apple in this group oh then everybody's a bad apple in the group and that's not the case you know like you said there there's good officers but then unfortunately there is some of those bad apples you know that are in these departments you know and that's definitely unfortunate before we wrap up mr d um is there any anything you want to give to our listeners any advice or anything you want to say uh before we end this interview yeah i'll kind of just touch on by saying um if if we're going to have change in police departments, it, it has to start from the top. I don't necessarily agree with defunding the police. I agree with demilitarization of the police departments. I don't think certain police departments need tankers and armored trucks. However, I don't think police departments should be defunded. I think that um, there should just be more training, more 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 specific training on mental health, and dealing with people in a nonviolent way. And again, I think change comes from the top. There are a lot of law enforcement departments, and especially mine, um, the good old boy culture is rampant. Mm-hmm. There, there are, you know, there's nepotism, favoritism, there's cronyism, there's all that runs rampant in, in these police departments. And if you chop the head off the snake, everything else will fall. So let's promote... I definitely think change starts from within the within the organization. Maybe promote from outside organ outside agencies to that agency, and not um, so much within to stop that favoritism. I think there needs to be a strict change on that end and how we hire and how we promote. Because at my facility, it, it it's really about who likes you, and that should never be the case. It should be right. credentials, work ethic, merit base. Not absolutely if you're likable so absolutely don't don't be fun but let's change let's change hiring practices for sure 
Well, I appreciate that, Mr. D. I, I totally agree with that. Again, I'd just like to thank you for taking the time out your day and uh, doing this interview with us here at Black and Blue Podcast. Again, you have listened to another episode of Black and Blue Podcast with my guest today, Mr. D. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Black and Blue Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review.